Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Angela. And this is Books, Books Are, are good, good, actually. And that was our fucked up <laughs> intro that we're going to leave in because I don't feel like... Corona recording. Yeah, so we're Corona recording through Discord, and it's going to be interesting how this turns out. All praise to Discord. All praise to Discord, and I'm because I'm not using fucking Skype at all. Yeah, fuck Skype. Fuck um, Skype. Also, fuck my decision to uh, prior to us starting this recording, failing to bring over the whiskey. Um, oh man. <laughs> It's okay. I think I think we'll make it through. I think we'll make it through, fam. All right. So for today's or this month's April's book, we were talking about debt, the history of something something. I already forgot the subtitle. Uh, the first five thousand years. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, this book is more of a kind of a anthropological type of book than like a like it has history, but it's more yeah. about how did people live in that time or different times um throughout which yeah which we kind of we mentioned before the show kind of made some of the topics a bit hard to digest yes yeah it's it's definitely not like a straightforward like a goes to b b goes to c um it it sort of is but the a b and c are more like ideas rather than periods and events and time um and it really uses like the first seven or eight chapters to build and tear down um, the ideas that it then uses in the second half of the book to create like an actual like history and through line of how debt and money were used. Yeah. And um, so, you know, let's just kind of roll into the book. Uh, I thought the beginning where the th- main thesis is like, what is debt? What, mm. how did we get to using debt as either a moral failing or just a moral part of our moral like fabric? Mm-hmm. Um, how do like, and then it kind of delves into like different cultures. How do they deal with people quote unquote owing you? And mm. sometimes a little bit of the language of someone owes you. And what does that mean? Um, and then at the beginning, he talks about uh, bartering as a myth, which thinking about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, duh, that is a myth. I never really I like from history. Yeah. I just never considered or even like an, I took like an econ 101 or like 102. And mm-hmm. I never thought of, yeah, this barter system, like barter system doesn't really make much sense. Yeah. You just sort um, of take it as faith. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is how it worked. But no, like that's it's how it worked when you were dealing with complete strangers that you never saw again and usually there were extreme threats of violence right and like i think the kind of underlying theme is that most people in you know villages or like small communities essentially they all knew each other they always um everybody had some type of specialization or whatever but there's always kind of like hey i needed shoes and the person who made the shoes, like, cool, I'll, you know, sometime later, I'll probably ask you for a favor, mm-hmm. you know, later. And mm-hmm. that's generally how it is. And if you kind of consider, like, if, like, your own friendships, like, hey, I'll get you a beer later, or I'll, you know, someone helps you move in for them, right? Yeah. Or and then like, like, oh, I'll get you a pizza, or I'll get you a beer later. Yeah. 
or you you have a uh, um, like a home patio that you want to build yourself, and you get a couple friends to come over and like do the initial like um, like clearing of the land and like pile uh, driving um, rather than have to do it all yourself. And then in like six months' time, that same friend is like, "Hey, I'm replacing my drywall. Can you come help?" And you you go over and help. Um, one thing that uh, stood out for me on the shoes was that um, it, it really depended on like what and where in society you, uh, what society you were in, and like what time you were in as well. Because uh, one of the examples he gave was of like a, a Native American tribe. Their name escapes me at the time, and of course, as I mentioned prior to you before the show, I took no notes this time. So. Uh, good on me um but they essentially all of like the stores of goods were controlled and organized by the women of this tribe and so if somebody like uh, a husband or a child or even the wife herself needed to to make shoes she would go and discuss the issue with the the rest of the women of the tribe and then they'd be like yeah just take some stuff out of the stores and make shoes yeah and so essentially, like, it's a very community aspect. And what he kind of goes into and kind of reiterates is that most times when we start using, uh, like, debt, it was more of trying to look at rel- interpersonal relationships as um, exchanges, as mm-hmm. we're, like, each person is a um, budding entrepreneur or a, another business to deal with. And it makes all relationships transactional. Because mm-hmm. then it becomes... Well, what can you do for me? Not what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and he he really goes into this in some of the later chapters where he talks about like um, how the idea of interest, which initially started as um, interests, which was defined specifically as um, the required payments when you fail to make a payment so like just fees rather than like as as an expected like percentage and how that eventually transformed into self-interest um and the implications on how people viewed their their time and investments um be the monetary or just be them effort in their community um but yeah that that is jumping forward like 10 chapters so let's let's go back to uh after barter was it primordial debts yeah that's where we were yeah yeah about there kind of the man those chapters uh this was like one of those books that were really dense and i don't remember like a good chunk of it it's just constantly like a thing 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 like all of these things out of history that you don't know because you didn't spend the past decade and a half as an anthropologist, so you weren't studying like specific like tribes, institutions, um, governments. Like e- even like looking at this from like the perspective of like, oh yeah, I took world history. Oh yeah, I studied for European history. Like so much, like. It was glossed over or not mentioned, or like one aspect of it was picked out to use as a through line for like 
creating the narrative of the high school textbook. Yeah. And then uh, the rest of the nuance was left to the side. Yeah. So um, I thought what was interesting to uh, it mentioned early on is like uh, I, I wrote down Adam Smith. I think it's like John Smith. Um, and his interpretation of this utopia, whether the barter system and like, mm-hmm. oh, everyone takes like, you know, the take a nail and they would, you know, go to the pub and give him a nail and all this other shit. And it's just like, that's just a thing that just did not happen. He just took like well, it, a. It did, as as is mentioned at the end of the, the book, but only in the sense that that was the period of time in which. European countries were unable to pay wages because their economic system was so fucked up because they didn't have coinage despite requiring everything to be paid in coins. Okay. Um, so for like a short period of like 100 years, people were quite literally taking things off of the work site to pay other people with because they were a year and a half in back wages that they weren't getting. But otherwise, yeah, no, that wasn't a, a sustainable or even like a, an expected economic yeah. system. Yeah, I think the whole point is, is that he kind of had he heard other tales about how Native Americans dealt with essentially the like the um, other white people. So he's like, oh, that's just how things are. And then just made his theory off of that. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of read more and you're like, oh, well, that that's just shit he made up for the most yeah. part. And once again, skipping forward like nine or ten chapters, it, he touches on this again, talking about how Adam Smith completely ignored the fact that during the time where um, European economies were uh, developing credit systems and developing printed money, both uh, um, like minted hard coins as well as paper money the majority of of businesses and the majority of people still worked on credit systems where just small towns would get together uh once a year or once every six months and uh just go about saying okay yes i owe you this and you owe me this and i owe this person this and they owe you that and you both owe me this, so it all cancels out, and you owe me like this small amount. Yeah, and I think um, it's also mentioned throughout that, like, when a new king would come along, he would just be like, "Yep," and everybody's debt is gone, and yeah, we'll that just was start over again. <laughs> really common in um, early um, history through what he calls um, the axial age. I believe. Yeah, the yeah. actual age. Um, but um, wish wish we uh, had that. Uh, yeah, that'd be seriously. great. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, one thing that um, I remembered from the Primordial Debts chapter was the, the section about how um, certain debts were measured um, in cumul. Uh, in Wales, which were cumul were slave girls, bonds girls, bondsmaids, um, and how while it wasn't like they frequently weren't like traded, 
everything was essentially measured in their worth. Um, which is kind of interesting and weird. Yeah. Because um, it's also something that isn't discussed regarding slavery. Is like It's frequently mentioned in... I'll just go out on a limb and say that uh, this book should be in most high school or college, like world history, like texts as as something you read next to or as a part of your curriculum, because it sets so many things on its head through actual historical record. Um, but like frequently. Uh, at least from like the Americans' perspective on slavery, like the two kinds of slavery that are mentioned are like there's the um, slave trade from Africa, and then prior to that there was uh, like old world slavery where anyone could become a slave if through like war or debt, but it like it failed to mention like how many people there were in this and how pivotal all of the economies that existed, at least the large ones, were, and even clearly with the Welsh, small economies, at least on the scale, like the global scale, still, and as is mentioned later in the book, still pivoted around the idea of turning human beings into some monetary value yeah and he kind of um speaking of humans as monetary values when he was bringing i think this was in um the uh, blood debts chapter yeah where it was talking about okay so if someone gets murdered th there is no like monetary there's no like some people had essentially like you, you just owe me for life like yeah. in terms of there's just no, there's no value to someone dying. Like, yes, took this person. Um, Some folks took it as, okay, you need to replace this person, and that mm -hmm. means generally their next kid or whatever is this person. Yeah. So they, they're like, it's mine now. It's. Yeah. Um. Or the ghost brides, where yeah, like, the ghost brides, yeah. Give us a woman, and uh, people will just have sex with her as will eventually happen when people are just hanging around each other some somebody's going to have they're going to have she's going to have sex with somebody at some point and then that child whenever she has uh the respective sex child that is a replacement yeah and i thought that was like very interesting um because it's like it's it almost reminds me of kind of like uh, like mafia movies, you know, like where the son dies and then it's like, oh, we got to kill them or whatever, or like find a replacement. And it's just like all like bloody shit. And it's just like, here's like, no, we're just going to like, you just owe me. Like, we're not going to keep going with like feuding and people dying. It's like, no, we're going to like, someone's going to get like, there's going to be some type of retribution that is like positive in a way. Mm -hmm. Instead of just like everyone cycling into just like more violence, yeah. Um, um, granted, like I guess we don't know how we don't. It seems like there wasn't a lot of journals about how people felt about this. Really, it just seems kind of like, like 
oh, that kind of sucks. That I don't know if I would feel great if like someone killed my husband, and then they're like, yeah, so like, well, you you can take their like uncle or cousin. That's your new husband. Like, I would be really pissed off about that, you know? Yeah. Um, it it would be really weird. It'd be really like, no, you're not. You're not my uncle. But I, yeah. I am now. Yeah. Um, and this was, um, we skipped like a couple chapters going into that. Um, so real quick, uh, chapter four talked about um, like how debt and um, capitalism in, in the sense of like, he goes on this whole Nietzsche rant, um, not rant, but like reads a Nietzsche rant. Um, and then eventually how, yeah, how, how those eventually uh, result in like human debt bondage and human slavery without having things like Jubilees. And then the fifth chapter is a really long chapter. It stretches like 40 pages. Um, it's not as long as, but um, he, he goes to define different like communisms. Um, yeah, like different, um, uh, yes, different. He pretty much has kind of like economic relations that occur in human, human society. So communism, mm -hmm. hierarchy, and exchange. Yeah. Which I think this chapter is like really good, and we're probably not going to go super in depth in it. But because yeah. it, once you get the definitions that he proposes, you kind of see like your own relationships, and then like the other relationships that occur later in this the um, book of how some of these societies man like managed their uh, like economic uh, mm -hmm. realities. This is also the chapter where he actually goes about defining debt um it's on my page 120 um where he then says what then is debt and then he actually starts defining it based on everything else he's talked about so far uh, and then that's where after we have this definition of debt uh where we go into blood debts and marriage debts and um how um, throughout all, all these different societies, we find people giving essentially worthless items for uh, like a marriage payment. Like they'll, they'll give brass rods or pieces of cloth or like whale's teeth, um, things that clearly are not worth a human life um, to get a, a, a bride. And then also begins to talk about how um, if you are owed some sort of debt, you can take that payment in in pawns or or essentially in in bonds people, people who are promised to you and come live with you. And how um, this created like uh, an interconnecting web of of debts and people moving from essentially families to families, and in, in some ways like strengthened the bonds of like smaller societies i don't know how well that would work on say like the scale of like an empire Though yeah clearly like empires and kingdoms did it with each other because um 
frequently be like, okay, well, you're going to marry your daughter to my son, and I will marry my daughter to your son. Yeah. That's how we all became inbred before (laughs) the fall of kings. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can, um, even if you couldn't think of like, it's that part took me a minute to figure out. And then I was like, oh, okay. I see. Like, you can kind of use your, you can kind of get yourself in position of power, even if you are a pawn, because if you have the connections with the person you married and then like your, other family and then your other villagers there you know you can kind of um work yourself in a better position but Mm -hmm. and um it's uh as we we mentioned it's also a chapter where they talk about blood debts and how if someone was murdered there were different ways to deal with that um but this was that was primarily in societies where there wasn't like a judicial system and like prisons and police. Yeah. Usually like the, um, I don't think even the, I guess you would call like the leader didn't mm-hmm. exactly dealt with it. Like it was like someone kind of like the right hand man at some point, they kind of mm-hmm. dealt with it, but it wasn't, it wasn't like this one person was the only person who um, decided it was a, like that was uh, made the ruling or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is where he defines the difference between um, human economies and capital economies. Right. Which is, you can basically think of it as like um, some flavor of like anarcho communism and with like degrees of how communist and degrees of how anarchist um because obviously these some of these societies were extremely hierarchical um in fact a lot a lot of these societies were extremely hierarchical um or patriarchal um and then the market economies being the i'm not going to say the beginnings of capitalism or just capitalism because there are definitely market economies uh, and market um yeah market economies throughout throughout history as he talks about in the the next section with the axial uh age but um they're definitely the less the less like society focused or socially focused right more um, I think um, also, too, you can kind of tell with market economies, they had more of a, I want to say like judicial, but there was definitely more bureaucratic types of sure. uh, Legal offices kind of yeah. um, in place compared to the human one, which was definitely based on your relationship to everybody else. Yes, absolutely. So that pretty much takes us into... Uh, the beginnings of the next section, uh, or what, what you can consider the second half of this, which is, it starts with credit versus bullion, where yeah. it, it just talks about the, the very, it really briefly goes over the various ways in which uh, governments and societies have, have dealt with thinking about money, uh, which is, as the title suggests, credit or bullion. Um, 
bullion for our listeners being uh, hard metals, usually in a bar form. Yeah, this um, chapter was actually pretty illuminating for myself because I didn't consider that most places use credit as like that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't Me realize um, virtual money has been a thing for like thousands of years. The I majority. just assumed. Yeah, majority. Yeah. Um, the fact of like, oh, there's coin. Like, okay, yeah, there's coins, but just like this coin is backed by bullion is like it one it's cycled on like virtual and bullion is always cycling depending on how shit like how shit things get and then um also what war is going to happen so uh i i thought that was like really interesting and um i can see where it gets very it gets hard for historians and anthropologists to be like okay so did this society use coin what was the context of this? And it's like, well, they didn't really have coin. It was all credit, but we don't have, like, none of this survived yeah. at all. So, yeah. like, or what did survive was the um, credit, re- like, Sum- Sumeria has tons of credit records because it's all on right. tablets, but like, credit records, like, on sticks, credit records on pieces of paper credit records on like uh ripped pieces of cloth um like none of that survived or so little of it that it gives us the idea that uh for some societies these things existed but to what extent it's hard to say um but he there there is enough evidence from enough societies around the world uh, to show us that it, it was credit primarily that was how the world rule like ran uh, except for certain periods not to say that in periods where there was hard money that everyone was using the hard money yeah because credit still existed <laughs> yeah and also the thing with money is that they can only print or print so much Mm-hmm. So you there was this problems where like um there was problems with paying the soldiers at some points. It was just like actually most of it was like, all right, well, well there's so many IOUs just around that like that was the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um because they're like, Yeah, we could give you a cow, it's kind of a pain in the ass to really like have you march back with this fucking cow. So we'll just mm-hmm. give me an IOU and you can, you know, give it to the someone will probably say, yeah, this is totally legit and we'll give you your wages. Yeah. Or we'll take uh, a chunk of it after you've written your name on it and they've written their name on it. And then that, and the like portion of that IOU that they consider to be theirs now. Um, yeah. But um, yeah. So then it goes into the axial age, which is, um, the period, uh, the section where he talks about how um, all these different cultures developed hard money and yes. uh, the influences for that, which, as you mentioned, was primarily war. Like, Yeah, and I thought what was interesting is that, um, so it goes to different cultures, um, what was interesting, uh, like, oh my gosh, I'm repeating myself. Anyway, 
What I thought was interesting that um, in the Middle East, they pretty much were like, yeah, um, salespeople, they're neat. They're like, it's good. It's part of the, you know, holy book. That's great. And then the, like, in Europe, they're like, no. Salespeople, uh, merchants, they're bad. They always fuck us over. Like, don't. Cursory, terrible. Terrible. Like, we will fucking, like, don't do not do that. If we find you doing that, we're just going to fucking kill you. What? Sorry. Um, to, to clarify on my Ursary terrible, both the Middle East, the like, and by Middle East, this is like, this is in the um, Middle Ages chapter where they where they talk about um, the uh, Islamic Age. Yeah. Um, but um, they loved merchants, but hated Ursary. Yeah. But in Europe, they hated merchants, and they hated Ursary, but they still allowed it. <laughs> Yeah, you had to, essentially, they were like, okay, Ursary with someone you know, that's pretty, that's a dick move. Don't do that. Ursary with someone you don't know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fine. That, yeah. like, it's a stranger. You, can, yeah. you, should, you should definitely try to get interest out of that person. <laughs> and, and then slowly over time, it became, like, arguments of who is a stranger to the point where, like, Calvinists are like, everyone is a stranger. Ursary for everyone. Yeah, there's um like uh, man, there's probably like a book out of each of these things about how um oh, different yeah. denominations fucking oh yeah you know interpreted that. And it, it the the thing with this book is um it's a little under four hundred pages. It's four hundred if you include the afterword. Um, my copy is. 540 pages because after the afterword there's 40 pages of notes and then like 50 pages of bibliography so there's i'm certain tons of books that go into the specifics of like what each uh, particular uh portion of society was doing and dealing with and arguing about Ursary in yeah. Europe. But uh, in the, in, so in the Axial Age chapter, he talks about uh, how in China, India, and the Mediterranean, coins first really came to be in a, in a major way, because like there had been coins um, in various places um, in small ways. Uh, but they hadn't really captured the 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 huge market attention, and uh, so basically it boils down to in a situation where there is enough warring countries, somebody is going to figure out how to uh, pay soldiers, and uh, in doing so. They also force everyone in the area where they rule over that all of their taxes have to be paid in the value or the item that they pay their soldiers in, um, which enables their soldiers to get goods and services with the thing that the government has given to the soldiers is otherwise like worthless to these people, except in the fact that they can now pay their taxes in it. Um, And so then it creates an environment where the soldiers are getting what they need and can go 
and fight another battle and merchants arise to follow the soldiers uh, creating supply chains where previously the government would have to like manually create that supply chain to their own cost um, enabling whoever came up with the schema usually to end up um, ruling significant parts of the the area that they existed in. So we see that with empires in India, we see that with uh, the Chinese Empire. Um, and the Chinese Empire was interesting in that they're the only of the three of the Axial Age that ended up managing to hold on to money at like hard currency as a means of buying and selling things as a, as a means of currency or as a means of economy after the axial age ends and the middle age begins. Right. Cause I think, uh, especially with the axial age, like a lot of, um, like Rome had coins, but they, they weren't, there weren't many, so they weren't circulating. And, and so people many just places kinda... where soldiers weren't like after you were conquered and Rome, like, went off to conquer somewhere elsewhere, just went back to credit. Yeah. Like, since there was no, this big governing body, or like, yeah, there's no centralized or some other thing to say, you're using coin now, here's your coins. They just, people are just like, well, I'm just going to go back to where the, like, what we usually do, which yep. makes sense. And um, as is pointed out, like, in like the first or second chapter, even after like the fall of the Roman Empire, um, and the fall of I cannot remember the name of the empire in India, um, the things in the credit system were still evaluated at the value of the worth of the Roman coins and the uh, um, Indian Empire coins. But it was just still all done in credit. Yeah. And then, yeah, China was really the the most interesting because um, them holding on to coinage for so long um, and just managing to hold on to it um, had really unfortunate consequences when Europe finally got out of their Dark Ages and joined the Middle Ages, which were... Yeah. Um, which everybody else was enjoying, because um, uh, as is mentioned in the Middle Ages um, chapter, uh, China had the highest standard of living uh, in like the 14 and 1500s of anywhere in the world. Um, people in uh, Thailand were discussing like Indian philosophy. Indians were discussing um Mediterranean philosophy, like there was a, a huge exchange of like ideas and a lot of scientific advancements. And then Europe got onto the scene and managed to become seafaring. Um, and they had spent all that time just fighting. Yeah, um, I think there was a lot of, um, especially after the Roman Empire kind of started disintegrating, uh, things kind of took a fucking turn because there's just a bunch of these roaming tribes running around everywhere um trying to carve up um you know land and trying to establish power granted that's a very very high overview what was going on yeah um Um, and and as he mentions in here 
Europeans had a very interesting view of debt um, that other societies didn't latch onto in the same way. Like they still had a sense of like moral obligation in their debt and in their credit system. Um, and they still had a sense of like, I guess, sin in, in the idea of debt as he discusses here. Yeah. He does discuss sin and debt. Um, but like, as is mentioned with the, the, the German prince who like his father racks up a huge gambling debt um, and so he takes over in his father's place after declaring him like uh, mentally unwill uh, or unfit. Um, and then he uh, manages to rack up some debts too. And so when uh, the peasants all start revolting regarding these debts, which he's also in debt, uh, he just lets them like revolt and then sweeps in after like six months or a year after they've already like collected like uh like bunches of riches from various like parts of like monasteries nearby and other towns um and then also destroyed a lot of like debt ledgers so he sweeps in and like takes all their shit and then goes on to ransack a bunch more monasteries just so he can pay his debts yeah um but like on the on the china and monetary system them holding on to coins for so long their coins were were silver and they were running out of silver um on mainland china at least as far as they were able to find with their mining technology at the time and so they for a while for like a couple decades relied on silver mines from japan but then they were still running out of silver well at the same time um uh, Cortez was returning from South America after his rampage, and if not for the Chinese need for silver and just silver, because they were otherwise self-sustaining as far as what their economy needed, uh, it, it really fueled a lot of the initial plundering of South and Central America. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. Um, he kind of contrasted Cortez and um, the other Simbad, mm-hmm. and like how mm-hmm. Simbad, as this, he's just an adventurer. He was just he's a merchant, but he was just going out adventuring and find you know going to places and didn't seem super <laughs> evil. Cortez is like, hey, uh, I'm in debt. Like I owe people a fuck ton of money, so I'm just gonna go over here. Um, whatever I find will, you know, I'll totally pay you guys, like my crew. Um, and I, as far as they were probably aware, they didn't know that the he owed fucking money. And then, you know, they get there, they kill everybody. He gets the money and then his creditor's like, Hey, where's that fucking money? He's just like, yeah, about that. Um, so no one's going to get paid. Uh, <laughs> So let's go on another adventure. And yeah. then he had, and then he was still in like to fund that. He so said he was back in debt. So it was just like this perpetual, just wheel of just shit that was going on. Mm-hmm. That uh, just resulted in him trying to destroy more human life in, yeah. in the pursuit of paying off his debts. Um, and, uh, 
yeah um that that sort of brings us to today um yep. that's really skimping on the details yeah it's <laughs> this what i enjoy about this book is that it's a nice you one you need to take it like piecemeal but like at the same time it's a nice overview of one kind of how with history um whatever the fuck you learned in like high school or whatever um a lot of like, oh, Europe was Europe, and they just sat there. China was China, and they just stood, like, was there. Everything was fucking interconnected, like, period. Everyone, yeah. like, if they could mingle, they could mingle. Um, and two, um, we've always, <laughs> apparently we always had fucking fake money, which has been, it's like, great. So this wasn't just, this has just always been a thing. And yep. chapter 12 definitely goes into, like, by the way, money is just fake. Like, congrats. You figured it out. Like, we got to the end. This is not sustainable at all. And essentially, um, yeah. each period of time, they always go through, oh, we're going to use um, coin or bullion. Oh, shit. No more bullion. Okay, I guess we're going back to virtual credit. Uh, fuck. Okay, never mind about virtual credit. We need to, <laughs> like... Yeah. And... Um and the yeah. thing with going between the two is there's always like a series of like calamities and collapses and right now like nixon took us off of the um gold standard in 71 um so as a result of that because everyone else is essentially pegging their um their worth to our dollar Everyone is now floating in a fiat currency, so we're all on credit. But generally, when societies go to all on credit from a bullion, you you end up in like series of wars um, or mass periods of starvation before it eventually transitions into a, a small enough like series of societies that can sustain themselves in a personal credit situation, or you have a large enough system uh, where that credit is recognized. But I, with, with the crashes that we've had and the, the situation we are in right now, because uh, I, I would love to hear what David Graeber has to say about uh, COVID, um, oh man, yeah. And I, exactly. I'm sure he has been on a podcast or something or written something about it. Uh, that would have been good to find for this. But um, this is uh, definitely the sort of situation where um, it's really going to test us being a, a fiat uh, monetary system. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, pretty much at the end of this book, it's kind of like just so you know like a lot of people definitely in the 70s were kind of like yep we're like capitalism is gonna end soon <laughs> and that was a like people were kind of like well we're about to like this is gonna we're, we're this is eventually gonna come to an end and of course mm -hmm. it hasn't but it's just kind of like it yeah we're, it's gonna be interesting how in the next five years how we're actually going to adjust to anything else are mm -hmm. we gonna recover probably fucking not or are we going to artificially recover? Most likely. Are we going to use this as a blueprint for how we deal with climate change? No. Probably not. We never learn our fucking lessons. Ever. Nope.
Um, um, yeah. But yeah. So um, also, I think this. I just realized this. I think this book is also a good indication of why you should never. We shouldn't go back to the gold standard. It's like a yes. That was a you know big old Ron Paul thing and a libertarian thing. Um, I'm sorry if you're a libertarian and that's not your position, but I just know that was a thing. This should probably illuminate why we we just can't go back to that. That that's just not yep. that is taken off the table. It won't fix what you think is going to be fixed, which I still don't understand. And we we don't have to go into. Yep. Um, also, if you're a, a libertarian or an American libertarian, specifically an anarcho-capitalist, you're real dumb. <laughs> You're uh, you're hella dumb. Everyone that you've ever read that you think tells you that the way you think how the world should be run should be run was also hella dumb or evil. Um, stop. Yeah, I mean, like the b- very beginning of this book, the person who has talked about economics forever has been like a basis was fucking wrong. Yeah. Like, so like consider that. Um. Also yeah. consider there's there's I think you have a bunch of fucking critiques like there's mentions of people who've been writing since who like had essays in the 1400s who are just like yeah by the way like this is just not like what's going on right now is just not sustainable as a thing or you, you know in in the context of like that time but you know okay. I'll try to try to read a critique of someone's fucking books or whatever yeah you know. uh, but yeah definitely definitely recommend debt. Um, I'm probably going to read this again. Yeah, there's a couple chapters that I want to review again. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, go join a, uh, human economy. Yeah, join, I think there's a mutual aids, um, you could probably look them up online. Oh, yeah. Uh, big ones, uh, food, not bombs, but in, uh, the COVID situation we are in, um, there are tons of very small mutual aid organizations that are popping up all over the place to address various needs, whether it's just grocery running or mask making or um, checking in on uh, the elderly or uh, what have you. Yep. So, um, so for our next, ugh, next May's book, May next month is may not april or march um it is black cowboys uh on uh, black cowboys of the old west true sensational and little known stories from history by tricia uh, martin new wagner which should be fun and less depressing actually it might still be just depressing it's fucking history but it might be might be cool cowboy stories yes that's cool yes there's definitely going to be some like up moments and some badass like yeah you got him yeah and then exactly. next chapter sadness sadness yeah so um remember books are good, are good. Actually, actually we nailed it nailed it <laughs>